reading these verses for us. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Good evening. It's good to be with you tonight, celebrating Christmas Eve. We have been looking at Jesus this past Advent season, asking the question, who is he? Who is this baby who came to earth? Who is this one that the angels praise, this one that people came to see, this one who has transformed the entire course of human history? Who is he? What's he like? Why did he come? That's been our question throughout this Advent season. And tonight brings us to verse 22 in the passage that Luke just read. And it gives us another important glimpse into who he is. And I want you to listen. I'm going to read back verses 21 22. Listen for that purpose, if you would. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to, that's the purpose, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's why he came. He came to make you holy to make you blameless, to make you beyond reproach, to give you something that every single one of us longs for, to give you something that every human being wants. This sense of being flawless, faultless, blameless, actually sort of pushes against the culture a little bit. Our culture tells us, just be yourself, just be comfortable with who you are. But we all know that there are parts of ourselves that we're just not very comfortable with parts of ourselves that we really don't want anybody else to know anything about. And so what we want is not simply to be ourselves. We want to be blameless as ourselves. Maybe think about how important it is to, be, to you to be blameless. Think about all of the different ways that you put energy into this. Think of the way that you waste energy editing yourself. You know, you're having a conversation with somebody and you start to think things and you think, oh boy, if I say this, then they're going to criticize me, and so you pull back from that. You have a desire to appear blameless in front of somebody else. Or you think of the things that you've done that you don't want anybody else to know. And so you hide them, you cover them up, you don't talk about them, because you don't want people to point them out. 
or think about how you defend yourself and justify what you've done when someone does point them out and says, I'm not sure that that really was a great thing. Or think about how you've gone on the attack when someone has criticized you. You've tried to take the focus off yourself, put it on them, instead of just hearing what they had to say. Or think about it from a completely different pr direction. Think about how you've gotten nervous before a big presentation. How you've worried because you're aware that everybody's going to be watching you, everybody's paying attention to every word that you say, everybody's noticing all of your gestures. And you've got that little running commentary in the back of your head that says, do a good job and this will open up the future for you. But do a bad job and they will never forget it and you're going to lock yourself into this position for the rest of your life. Or think about how hard you work to get rid of your faults, to be good enough at what you do, to be successful. Think about how much harder you work when you've slipped up and you're trying to prove yourself to people all over again. Or for some of you, you don't work super hard. You actually work less hard than you know you can. Why? Because you don't want to come up on the radar and be noticed because everybody on the radar is noticed for what? Not only what they do well, but also for what they don't do well. Or think about the many ways that you find to distract your conscience when it starts to remind you of all the things that you've done in your life that you're not very proud of. Being blameless, faultless, beyond reproach, that's incredibly important to us as human beings. Put a lot of time and effort into it. And if you think about it, the longer that you live on this earth, the more time and effort that you have to put into it because that means that there are more things that you've done that actually you could be criticized for. And the more things that you've done that you could be criticized for, those are the more things then that you feel that you have to hide. And that means then that you're going to have to work harder to overcome them. And now you've got so many things in your mind that you really need some extra things to help you escape from your mind of all those things that you can't overcome. Living with blame or the potential to be blamed is exhausting. It's paralyzing. It takes away from you the ability to actually rise up and be who you can be. That's why one of the best gifts that you could ever receive is if someone would refuse to blame you. If someone would refuse to see you through the lens of what you've done. If someone would refuse to treat you on the basis of the past. If someone would not limit your future by what you've already done in the past. If someone would look at you and make you holy. Make you blameless. Make you beyond reproach. I mean, can, can, can you imagine what that would be like if you could actually get your mind on board with that? If you actually felt the reality of that how the anxiety that you feel would just start to melt away, how you'd be freed up to live and how you could actually enjoy living without all that editing and processing and hiding and covering and working. You start to realize you can't get a better gift than this. We're all looking forward to tomorrow when we all get gifts. I hope that you get great gifts. I, 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 honestly, I hope actually that you give great gifts. You will never give someone a greater gift then refuse to hold them blameworthy, to judge them for the things that they've done in their past. It's a gift that you see in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. For those of you who are not familiar, this is a fictional book written by C.S. Lewis. And in this work of fiction, there's a lion, Aslan. He's not an ordinary lion. He's the king of the entire world. But he's been away from this land that he's king over. He's been away from Narnia. And while he's been away, someone has come in and usurped power, the White Witch. 
and she's taken over ruling the nation. She rules it harshly, and she has plotted to keep her rule forever. And the way that she's going to do that is by keeping a prophecy from coming true. Because there's this prophecy that hangs out there that says there's a golden age that could come. And this golden age will come when four human beings, two brothers, two sisters, come and they sit on four thrones. And when that happens, not only does the golden age get ushered in, but the white witch has her reign ended. So she's on the lookout to keep this from happening. And in the story, four human beings enter into the world. Two brothers, two sisters. They stumble into Narnia. They come from our own world. And they're the ones who are destined to rule the kingdom. But there's a problem. And the problem is with one of them. The younger brother is consumed with a sense of his own self-importance. And so he lies to hurt other people. He lies to advance his own agenda. He schemes to get what he wants. He's filled with envy, filled with jealousy. And he works to get ahead, even if it's going to be at the expense of his family. And so he's entered into Narnia, separates himself from the rest of his family, and allies himself with the witch. He creates an alliance with her against his own brother and sisters, which really means that he creates an alliance against Narnia, which ultimately means that he's created an alliance against Aslan. The witch, however, turns on him, tries, nearly kills him, and the only reason that he survives is because Aslan sends help to rescue him. But that creates a new tension point in the story because what's Aslan going to do with Edmund? Edmund's a traitor. Edmund deserves death. And, and you're wondering now, what's Aslan going to do? What's he going to say to him? How will he treat him? I want to show you a movie clip, a very brief clip, that uh, it picks the story up right at the place where Edmund is rescued and shows us how Aslan treats him. And just like that, the past is now firmly in the past. On the word of the king, what Edmund has done has no impact on the present, and it will have no effect on the future. The word of the king paves the way for reconciliation. The brothers and the sisters are all on the same page now, and they proceed through to what's next in the story. That's what Jesus came to do for his people. He came to put the past in the past. He came to reconcile and to bring reconciliation. Let me read that passage again for us, and you'll see it there. You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Or, in Aslan's paraphrase, what's done is done. There is no need to speak to you about what is past. 
Now, why is there no need to speak to you about what is past? It's because there's a presentation coming. You will be presented before God. And during that presentation, there's an inspection. And in that inspection, there will not be found anything wrong with you. The result of that inspection will be that there is nothing unholy, nothing in you to blame, nothing to reproach, no flaws, no errors, nothing lacking, nothing that could be done slightly bit better, nothing to ever speak to you about again. You think, what's that going to be like? To stand there and be inspected and have nothing wrong. Let me give you the opposite example, and it sort of makes the point even more clear. Back in 2014, Admiral William McRaven gave a commencement address. He was speaking to the University of Texas at Austin, and he was telling the graduates several different stories about how the Navy SEALs prepare their cadets uh, and train them. And one of these exercises is called the sugar cookie. And the cadets are to present themselves for a uniform inspection, in which, quote, your hat had to be perfectly starched, your uniform immaculately pressed, your belt buckle shiny and void of any smudges, unquote. And if anything was found lacking in their appearance, they failed inspection. And the punishment for failing inspection was the cadet was to run into the ocean fully dressed and be completely soaked, come out of the ocean, roll themselves around on the beach until they were covered head to toe with sand. Hence the term sugar cookie, because that's what they looked like. And then they were to carry out their duties for the rest of the day without changing. So cold, wet, clammy, salty, sandy, the entire rest of the day. And what they were not told is that on a regular basis, they are going to fail inspection. And they are going to fail inspection regardless of how hard they work. And the point of the exercise is to help people learn how to handle life when it goes badly, even though you did everything you could to try to make it go well. So regardless of how much the cadets try, the inspectors would always find something that's not right. Now, why does that work? It's because there's always something that's not right, right? There's always something that could be better. There's always something that could be cleaner. There's always something that could be sharper. There's always something that could be more perfect. There's always something that they, the inspectors could find that wasn't as right as it could be. And you and I know the reality of that. And we will continue to know the reality of that until when? Until eternity. Until we step into God's presence and realize that that is no longer true. When you're presented for, before God for inspection on that final day, no one, not even God himself, no one's going to find anything wrong with you. Not one thing out of place. Not one thing that should be otherwise. Not one act that's wrong will be able to be found. Not one word that should have been different. Not one thought that was out of place. Not one attitude. Not one desire. Not one that has a, a shadow of a hint of anything evil in it. Not one that is even slightly less than perfect in any way. You will be presented before God. And you will spend not one moment of eternity as a sugar cookie, ever. Can you begin to wrap your mind around what that's going to be like? Do you let yourself think about that and imagine that? Do you allow that to percolate inside until it starts to become real, tangible? That's your destiny. That's your future. 
How do you know when that's taking place, when that's actually starting to, to get some traction inside, where it's actually starting to feel real to you? It's when it no longer stays safely tucked into the future, but it starts to roll back into the present until it affects the way that you live right now. For instance, since nobody will be able to accuse you of anything ever again, you don't need to worry about what people are thinking of you right now. You don't have to justify yourself to anyone. You don't have to grovel for their acceptance. You don't have to explain yourself. You can stop trying to fit yourself around other people, asking the question constantly, do they like me, do they not like me? Who cares? If the only person in the universe who truly counts says there's nothing wrong with you, you and I fit together, who cares what anybody else thinks of you? Or think about it from a different way. Since you are no longer defined by your past, you now have the freedom to learn from it. You no longer have to fear making mistakes, trying to cover them up, because those things in the past do not define you now, and they have no ability to ruin your future. So instead, if somebody wants to point something out, you welcome it. If they're wrong, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything about you. If they're right, you apologize. You ask forgiveness. You do what you can if there is anything that you can do to make things right. And you go on. And you learn from it. Some people have argued that this means then that you care less about doing what's right. Actually, is the other way around. You care more. Why is that? Because when you're not holy, you don't really understand holiness. You don't have a sense of how much it's worth. You don't have a sense of its true value. You don't really care whether or not you're aligned with God and with his people. It just doesn't matter to you. When you're not holy, you live like Edmund. You're busy trying to figure out how much you can get for yourself. But when Jesus makes you holy, he sets you free. Free from yourself. Not free to keep living like a traitor to the king who made you. But free to have a new loyalty. A loyalty to the one who loves you so much that he'll do whatever it takes in order to rescue you. Aslan does not rescue Edmund from death so that Edmund can revive his allegiance with the white witch. Edmund is set free to have a new allegiance. To have a new relationship. Aslan gives him the shot at having a brand new future, one that's incredibly full and open and has a lot of promise. But it's one that comes at a huge cost. Because when Aslan pardons Edmund and wipes away the past, he does so knowing that he's going to have to die in Edmund's place. So you can't wipe guilt away just with words. The price of being a traitor is death. And that death is owed for every time that anyone has ever been less than perfect, every time anyone has had something that was blameworthy, any time that anybody was reproachable. Each one of us has betrayed the king in ways that are too many to count. And each one of those betrayals deserves our own death. Unless somebody would volunteer to die in your place. And that's why Jesus came in the flesh. That's why Jesus was born. That's why we remember him coming to this earth in a very real body as a little baby. It's not because babies are sweet and God wanted us to see him as sweet. It's not because babies are harmless and God wanted us to see him as harmless. It was so that God 
himself could now have a body so that Jesus could have a body so that he could what? So that he could die. So that he could take on all of your failings, all of your betrayals on himself. Substitute for you. Take that death for you in your place. And then having died, separate those things from you for eternity because those things now exist on the other side of death. And they have no ability, no power to enter into eternity with you. So when you stand before God, it's not because he's sort of, you know, being nice to you, cutting you a break, letting you in someplace where you really don't belong. When you stand before God, it's not because you finally figured out how to clean yourself up, how to work hard so that you'd be good enough to hide the things you've done. Instead, you're going to stand before God. Why? Because that's where you belong. That's the place that you have had earned for you. It's where you deserve to be. Truly holy, truly blameless, truly beyond reproach. That place was earned by Jesus. He earned it in the past to guarantee you that future so that what? So that you now live differently in the here and now. That's why we celebrate his birth at this time of the year. The birth of this one who came to die. There's a hymn that was written back in the early 1800s encapsulates all that we're trying to talk about here tonight. It goes this way. His be the victor's name who fought the fight alone. Triumphant saints no honor claim. Their conquest was his own. By weakness and defeat he won the glorious crown, trod all his foes beneath his feet by being trodden down. What though the accuser roar of sins that I have done, I know them well, thousands more. My Jesus knoweth none. He hell and hell laid low, made sin, he sin or threw, bowed to the grave, destroyed it so, and death by dying slew. Bless, bless the conqueror slain, slain by divine decree, who lived, who died, who lives again, for thee, my soul, for thee. My sin is cast into the sea of God's forgotten memory. No more to haunt accusingly, for Christ has lived and died for me. Let's pray together. Maybe just take a moment as you're praying and just thank, thank this God who would come with a purpose. The purpose of presenting you before God without blame. presentation real to you. That presentation where there's going to be nothing of any blame to be found in you. Jesus, we are your people. You have bought us with a price. You have rescued us. You've made us your own. Lord, I pray that you would 
let us feel your love. Feel that sense of your nearness, your closeness. Know it for the reality that it is. Lord, that that would be much greater than anything else that we experience either tonight, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name.